Okay, so we're jumping back in here to the book of Acts. We're reading uh, chapters 8 through 14, and last week we talked uh, quite a bit in, in Acts 13 um, about uh, Barnabas and Saul and, and kind of their whole missionary journeys there. So let's uh, let's open it up and see. Well, actually, I'll say who's here today. We got we got Ben with us. We got Jimmy, Dave, Mike, Lenny, myself, Johnny. Unfortunately, is not here uh, with us. At least not yet. Uh, who knows? Maybe he'll uh, he'll show up at some point. But um, but anyhow, uh, let's just jump right in to see anything that uh, stood out to you as we've been reading this past week. You mentioned thirteen. Thirteen is an important chapter because it says Paul, Barnabas and Saul are commissioned. In addition to, in the next, that's my my title of my chapter, and then the first subtitle is Paul's First Missionary Journey. Notice, changed from Saul to Paul, <laughs> just like that, and, and he ends up becoming Paul, using more of a Gentile name. But but more importantly than that, this this is his first missionary journey. And also, and in, in hopefully we all can get into this a little bit, I don't know if you realize, but and, and anybody that is more familiar with the Bible than I am, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you look at 13, uh, chapter 13, verses 16 to 41, 16 to 41, I'm not going to read it, but I did read it over again this morning in, in a speaker's tone, the, the way I know how, and if you read that, that is Paul's sermon. Matter of fact, it is the only, and this is where I need correction, please. It is the only full-length sermon that we have from Paul in the Bible. I mean, he's written sermons, so to speak, you know, letter to the Galatians, letter to the Corinthians, and so on. But this is him standing up, giving a sermon here. And it's really interesting. If you read this as though it's a sermon, as though you were the preacher, there's a lot of power in this. And, and also, I want, you, want to point out to you that this compares almost almost exactly if you go back to acts 2 uh, i made a note of this if you go back to acts 2 peter gives a sermon to the people and at the end of that sermon i think he converted uh, 3000 people or something like that but more than the conversions the content of peter's sermon back in acts 2 um, this uh, mimics the same thing here also before we go on do you folks know the the layout here when you're reading this because I didn't again I I have a little idea of the geography does anybody is anybody really familiar with the geography here because I don't want to bore you with this bore us away <laughs> all right what, what we have here is we have Antioch did you guys notice that there is Antioch in Pisidia and then Antioch in Syria because I got confused with that and I'm going to straighten that out for you Antioch in Syria was a huge city. As a matter of fact, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria, the seaport, which I'd been to, I think I told you guys uh, a, a couple months back in, when I was in Egypt. Uh, and then, so picture this, it was, a, it was in Syria. You know where Syria is? Well, you got Palestine, right, where the Israelites were. Above that is Syria, almost today, modern day, but it, it's, that was how it was back then. Then you have Antioch and Pisidia. Well, where was that? Here's Syria over here. 
Antioch and Pisidia is over here. It wasn't such a big town. I was getting confused. I go, wait a minute, Antioch, Antioch and Pisidia, Antioch. And they called the Antioch in Syria just that, Antioch in Syria or Antioch on the Orontes River because it was close to the river. And last week, I think Mike read when they set out, they went to Seleucia. They set out from Seleucia, Mike said. What's Seleucia? I said, Mike read that. I go, I don't even know what the heck that is. Seleucia is the seaport. Antioch in Syria is a little bit inland. It's seaport. It had it, it had its own seaport on the Mediterranean called Seleucia. Now, back to Antioch and Pisidia. Pisidia was a region in what is today known as Turkey. Okay? So you have Pisidia, and it, and it stood. It was difficult to get to, and we need to know this. Why? Because Paul didn't care. He had to, this, this was in the, in the Taurus mountain range. Pisidia, uh, Antioch and Pisidia. It was very high up. It was on one of the most difficult roads in the Roman Empire. One of the most difficult. And robbers, brigands, all those type of people. Almost like the road from Jericho to Jerusalem when we uh, talk about the Good Samaritan. That road was also a vicious road. It was, you know, plagued with robbers and all those type of people. Well, he, he went up to Pisidia, uh, Antioch and Pisidia. Also, there were a lot of cities named Antioch. It was a pretty uh, popular name, but we're talking about those two. So when you look at this, you're over here this is Syria in this region, and this is where his first, these double lines here, all these towns here where he went, uh, Derby, Iconium, we're going to read about those. They're in modern-day Turkey, just to give you some background. I don't know if you knew that, but I needed to know where this is. What, where am I talking about? Where, and so if you put that in perspective, he's now over here, and then he goes to Cyprus, of course, and we talk about um, Paphos. Uh, Paphos, what's Paphos? Paphos is the capital of Cyprus, the island that he went to. And I think Mike brought up that... Barnabas. Barnabas, who was born in Cyprus. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there's a little background for you. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad that you do that because I think that does help. It helps me. And if it helps me, I'm thinking it might help someone else. I appreciate that, Ben. But even anybody who's listening to this, they go, where the heck are all these places? I can picture Turkey in my mind because I know where that is today geographically. Uh, all these, if, if I read Derby or Iconium, where are those? But now I know, and hopefully you do too. Thanks for listening. What I think is really cool about uh, you know the place they chose Antioch, Syria, is that it was a uh, it was a really big um, like a trade intersection mm. for a lot of places. Oh yeah, you know. So I mean, you know, they did a lot of you know trades with you know Egypt, Asia, Greece, Italy, Mesopotamia. You know, and I mean, it was really you know the first place where everybody was called Christians, and they're you know really there preaching the gospel. And, you know, where Barnabas and Saul took off and, you know, went other places to preach the gospel, you had, you know, the other three that stayed by, Simeon, Manian, Lucius, um, you know, to preach the gospel there. But, you know, Antioch, Assyria, again, it was that, 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 that hub, that trading hub. You know, so they had uh, not just the, you know, the people there. I think there was a population of about, um, I think it was 300,000, um, you know, Jews and Gentiles. Um, but again, you had all the people trading, you know, that were coming through, um, you know, that they had the ability to preach to, too. Yeah, well, it's important for them, you know, in those hubs, it's like it it's, it's, uh, has a natural dispersion to the gospel in those situations because it's like they're preaching the gospel, but it's somewhat of a transient, you know, crowd that they're speaking to. And even, even verse 16, it's interesting because, well, uh, even if you back up a little bit, 14, it says they're traveling there, and then on Sabbath they went to the synagogue, 
after the usual readings, then whoever's leading their services sends a message to, to Barnabas and Saul inviting them to speak, which was mistake number one on their part. I mean, <laughs> ultimately, it was it was good for the furthering of the gospel, but they, they, they may have ended up regretting that they weren't ready. a little bit. <laughs> but anyhow, it's interesting that, you know, his first uh, kind of words there, he quiets him, says, men of Israel, he says, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. And, and it's just kind of interesting how... Um, you know, obviously, we we already have read about the uh, the um, sheep being let down with the different kinds of animals and telling Peter to kill and eat and whatever. And we know that Paul certainly had a soft spot for the Gentiles, but here you see in a new area, he's in a synagogue, but in the synagogue are these God fearing Gentiles, and uh, and it's just like the they're they're just seeking, they're looking, they're they're not even part of the club. They're still outsiders, and yet they're there, maybe not even physically in the synagogue, um, because in some cases they probably wouldn't even be allowed in the synagogue, but they're maybe like congregated out on the outside, around, possibly listening uh, to the service, um, as some traditions do. I mean, uh, for example, the uh, Orthodox Church in Ethiopia um, and some of them, at least, you're not even allowed in the in the church building. Mm, they actually the yeah, priests right. come yeah, out yeah. and yep. they and they preach on the steps because for whatever reason. So so here we don't know the exact scenario, but we do see that it's a mixed crowd that he's speaking to. He's in the synagogue, but he's speaking to a mixed crowd. And then he goes on like like Dave said. That was an interesting point about um, this being the uh, the only really fully recorded uh, sermon that he did and um and and very likely that's that's true but again this is what i love about about this book as well as the book of luke is because these books um well i mean i shouldn't say that entirely luke was not really written by eyewitness acts is kind of partially eyewitness because luke certainly gets involved he gets in on the action at this point which is interesting but he's also he's got a very systematic mind you know, he, he's got the mind of that uh, that investigative journalist, and he's going through. And so, so when it comes to these these sermons or whatever, whether or not he was physically there at that moment or not, but you know, you can trust that what he's saying is is pretty reliable because he's definitely doing his due diligence and researching it. I wanted to also point out, Mike brought up about the city and you know what was going on there, and again, because I like context, and and also another one of my side hobbies is following excavations both biblical mythological and that so this this city and i've been i've been to a number of them in my trips uh, this particular one antioch i had not been to but i do know from my reading there's this uh it's a magazine plus a group that goes out and does excavations i haven't joined them on an excavation yet on a dig but uh, i get their magazine it's called bible and spade i don't know if you ever heard of them but anyway you know because they follow the bible and they verify places in the bible that's why i love them they you know they you know all the people that want to refute oh that place never existed these people go out and they do it that's what they do so um in, in antioch when they dug that up they found a a magnificent walled city it was huge it had theaters forums roman circuses tons of public buildings so I'm saying this for people who, you know, us and, and anybody else, these things are real. These places in the Bible were real, and they've been dug up and verified. Just a, just a comment. You said that you, you actually, in your best speaking voice, went and read this entire sermon? I did. 
As a matter of fact, would, I, would you like to do it again? I don't think you want me to do it here and here, but I would have no problem doing that. As a matter of fact, in Egypt, they had you know a lot of Roman influence. So that there was our, our guide. It was just me and my wife and the guide, and he said, "Stand here." And I went into the just this one spot that they had, and I says, and "He goes and now speak." It was incredible. When you spoke, there was no—I I, I don't know—and it was in an open forum. You know, it was people were walking around there, and so he said, "Say something." So I started reciting the Gettysburg Address. It was incredible. You could hear yourself in stereo, and, and it went through, and everybody stopped, and they were listening. And of course, me—I don't care because, like I said, I'm loud and boisterous, so I didn't care. And it was—it it was unbelievable. So these people, when when Paul was speaking in Ephesus or wherever, they—I I don't know how they did it, but. They had the acoustics down. So, yeah, I did it. Uh, I didn't do it in an acoustically uh, uh, set setting, acoustic setting, Ben, but I did it in, uh, <laughs> I did it in my house, yes. Well, I was talking to my wife last, last evening, and we were talking about what you were saying, Judah, uh, when, when they gave Paul, the, Paul and Barnabas, the forum. And I, so I read this part. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying in the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. And what dawned on me, and I, I don't know the answer to this, is, and you were kind of talking about, like, they may have been on the outskirts of the church and not allowed in to hear the word. But it's, it's, it's like a promising, uplifting thing. And the only thing I could think of was, like, the slaves in Egypt back in the day. And they're just so pushed and marginalized and I was thinking about like how come as you are broken or welcome and and people just feel like you know they like you've said it like they're going to be struck down the second they walk into church like I don't belong I don't deserve to be here and they're hearing this message going oh my god this is this is for me they're saying I'm 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 able to receive the light and I just thought it was beautiful so I was curious just if these folks that were allowed and and shown this light you know, how marginalized were they? Like, what, what was the circumstances? So, anyways, I thought, thought it was beautiful. Yeah, another thing about that I, that I thought of, and as you're saying that, Jimmy, is we, we talk about speaking, and in, 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 I'd be happy to do that one day for you, but um, I, I was thinking more of Paul. Uh, we, we need to realize how powerful a speaker he was. Understand this, that when him, Barnabas, whoever else, but, you know, Paul gave these sermons, Paul wrote these things, and he was preaching with Barnabas. And so let's say they, when they went out to speak, whether it was to the Jews in the synagogue or they approached the Gentiles, remember that these people, especially the Gentiles, some Jews, but especially the Gentiles, all of these places they went to, starting in Cyprus, Paphos, had gods other than the God. For instance, Paphos, I, I, I'm also into Greek mythology, Paphos was a Venus-dominated island. They loved the goddess Venus, the Roman goddess Venus, the goddess of love. And so it was crazy, crazy there, if you if you read about it. In any of these other cities, and, and I want you to, we need to remember that they had to overcome that. So this is how powerful the word was as Paul and Barnabas and the others were preaching this. And we could only hope to be half as good as that because um, I, I don't know. When was this, Judah? Oh, January 21st, 24. Judah's sermon. Uh, I, I don't know why this popped up because I keep these as bookmarks here. 
Hebrews 5.12. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. <laughs> that just popped up to me. I go, okay, am I doing that? And can I do it anywhere near as good as Paul and Barnabas under those circumstances? We talk about the martyrs of today, and we don't face that. Paul and Barnabas, as we read through this, and, and, and we, we have some of the, you know, we probably have read this, they were persecuted, you know, burned, they were jailed, they were, everything was going on. Everywhere they went, something was happening to them because there were, remember, there were these other gods. So they, people were trying to reconcile, believe in, in the one true God along with their other faith. And as you remember when, uh, I forget, was it, you know, one of the cities that was being talked about, I don't know if it was uh, Jesus or Paul, uh, one of those cities still wanted to do, you know, both. They wanted to have the, you know, the, the gods as well as, you know, have the, have the, the, the Christian yeah. faith too. And, yeah. and, uh, whoever it was, there was Paul saying, you can't do that. So these, they were working under duress. So let me fr sum it up that way. Yeah. And, and I don't know if, uh, the Gentiles were, were marginalized in the sense of like, maybe financially or politically or whatever, not in these towns per se, because I don't think this was particularly a Jewish town, but there was a Jewish synagogue there. Yeah. And so so spiritually marginalized, yeah, because it's like they're they're looking for some hope. And and it's interesting how this sermon kind of ends, right? Because he's preaching about Jesus, he's preaching about the resurrection. It's very intriguing to people. He even challenges them, you know, at the finale with with the words of the prophet. Uh, saying, look, you mockers, be amazed and die for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. And then it says after this, the people are like, we want you to speak about this more next week. And uh, and they're following them, and they just say, hey, rely on the grace of God. The following week, look at this, verse 44, it says the following week, almost the entire city turns out now because it's like the, the words that they were saying, like just intrigued and inspired so many people. And so it's it's very interesting how, and I don't know if it was intentional or not. It was certainly intentional by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it was intentional by Paul, but he gave them enough to, to get them wanting to hear more. So there's a small group there. He tells them stuff. He tells them this fantastical story about Jesus and the death and the resurrection and all that. And they're like, we want to hear more about this. And then they all turn out, and then it's like he doesn't give a rip anymore. And now it's like the boxing gloves come off because they all turn up. And, and it says then, verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it's necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you've rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we'll offer it to the Gentiles, for the Lord gave us this command. He says, I've made you a light to the Gentiles, bringing salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. And, and I just find it interesting that, that I mean, again, we don't maybe have this entire sermon and, and, and dissertation recorded here, but at least in the record that we have, that's how they start, right? I mean, he, he starts with that. He's like, okay, thank you all for coming here. Since you Jews here who are hosting this event have turned your back on it, I'm going to turn my attention now to the Gentiles and, and it's just, you see the two different reactions in verse uh, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for this message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. But 
we see here, verse 50, then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet. And, uh, and it's just interesting you see that like everybody's like, oh, this is great. We, we love this. And then they kind of like throw it on this gauntlet of saying, hey, it's open for everybody now. You know, we're, we're open for business. And the Gentiles are like, hooray. And the Jews are like, uh, okay, we, we've had enough now. So you know, and we have to keep in mind, too, that remember, Paul is a Jew. As a matter of fact, as he describes himself in Philippians, he was the Jew of Jews. I mean, he and, and, and yet these Jews are turning on him. Uh, but Back to the point about how would we react? How would we behave in that situation uh, where Paul and Barnabas found themselves run out of town or faced with the Jews, uh, that adversity, and then turning the Gentiles? Would we do that? What would we do in the face of adversity? And I, and I, and I asked that to anybody who might be listening to us who would listen to this podcast at any time. What do you do? Do you run at the at the first sign of adversity? Do we run away? Do we 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 run and tuck tail and, and hide our faith, uh, or or do we treat it like Paul did and just kept persisting and persevering? If you don't want to listen to me, I've tried. If you don't want to listen to me, then as Judah said, and I love that line, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. <laughs> I love that there and the rest of that. Okay, you don't want to hear it. No problem. I'm going to go somewhere else. And if you don't, and then they just keep moving on. Would we have that kind of persistence? No. Do we have that kind of persistence? Yeah, not only that, the Jews followed them after that point, kept following them and stoning yeah. them and right. ruining their next big gig or whatever was happening. Yeah. That's crazy. That's, that's a good point, Jimmy. I remember that reading that and I'm going, geez, it's like they you know, just got a band together. Okay, wherever you go, we're going to follow you. We're going to be in the crowd and heckle you. Right. Yeah. It's like, what? Okay. Put a short up on the on the YouTube channel. It was like 23 seconds. A guy just went and said, I'll, I just know that he's about to ask for a donation. I didn't even bother watching the video. And I'm like, the amount of time it took you to click the thing to do a comment and write that comment out, you could have listened to the short and realized you don't know what you're talking about. And you see the effort that people go into hate following them around so they could heckle them so they could throw stones and cause trouble for them. And it's like, Oh, I don't care about this person that I always talk about all the time. Don't care about them at all. Why would I care about this person? I always mention. it's like, as opposed to listening with an open mind and maybe learning something, as you said, had he played the short, he would have seen that. Oh, okay. This is yeah. what yeah. they go and already made up their mind that this yeah. guy's bad news. And, and you see this all the time in today's culture. You see the, like, you know, uh, Ben Shapiro can't speak. I don't want him speaking cause he's a racist. He's a, he's a Nazi. And like, if you gave a second to actually just listen, you might, maybe you won't agree with a hundred percent of it, but you might come out with say, hey, you know what? I didn't agree with everything they said, but I, I saw this one point or, or I, uh, or I don't agree with you, but I see where you're coming from on it. And I agree that we could disagree, agree to disagree, you know, and it's people don't even let that happen. And as you show it, that's been happening throughout history. A word that, that keeps coming out here um you see it right there uh, i just read it verse 46 right when they first turn out says then paul and barnabas spoke out boldly and declared and then we jump to verse 14 it says then they, they they are chased out of town there they go to iconium same thing you know happens there they're in the synagogue they're preaching so with such power both jews and greeks become believers 
Some of them, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against them. But the apostles stayed there a long time preaching, what? Boldly mm -hmm. about the grace of God. And, and we see this throughout. And, uh, and it, it's one thing to be bold without opposition, but it's another thing to be bold with opposition. Most of us aren't even bold That's without right. opposition. That's right. Like we, we're just like, we're just afraid of the potential of opposition, yes, right? Like how many people have said, well, I can't talk about God in my workplace, in my community, in my school, in my fill in the blank, because they might tell me that I shouldn't do it. I mean, uh, imagine imagine if, if that was the case of uh, Saul and Barnabas, Right, if they were just like, well, you know what, we're gonna go into the city, but we're, you know, we're just gonna, we're gonna keep it kind of hush hush. We're gonna find a few people. We're gonna just kind of like do a little word of mouth thing. He says, no, they preached boldly, yeah. and imagine, imagine how the spread of the gospel would have been. And, and I'm not gonna make any assumptions here for any of us, but if if it was us rather than Paul and Barnabas. Right, like if it was me and Dave, or Mike and Lenny, or Jimmy and Ben, like like how would that have gone? I mean, clearly, I'm not trying to elevate Paul and Barnabas because they were just men, just like us. I mean, there's some people that that you know will elevate them to sainthood and all this stuff, but that's baloney. They they were flawed people, just like us. They were not divine. They were they were uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that is empowering us as well. But the question is, is would we have had the boldness? And do we demonstrate boldness? It's just like generosity, right? People say, oh, when I get a lot of money, I'll be generous. But you're not generous now. Mm -hmm. And similarly with boldness, it's like, oh, yeah, if I was there, I would be bold. Well, are you bold now? I mean, like like boldness is, is, is a character quality that it doesn't, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, if I was in their situation, I would be bold. Well, how about now? Are you bold now? Like, are you willing to stick up for your, for your faith now? I'm not saying we got to, like, jump on a soapbox and start preaching at the corner. But are we willing to share our faith, invite someone to church, you know, talk about Christ, you know, boldly? Or or is it more like, well, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. Like, honestly, Paul and Barnabas couldn't give a rib about offending anybody. They they were like, they were like digging it in too. They're like, hey guys, Jesus came and uh, and it's not just for you guys because you rejected him. We're going to the Gentiles now. I mean, it's like. Like, I mean, he's inviting opposition. I'd venture to say, again, I don't know what makes sainthood, so I wouldn't say, hey, well, somebody's a saint, somebody isn't. But you're talking about Paul and Barnabas. Uh, I'm thinking if, if they weren't bold, as Judah points out, that word is used a couple of times, bold, boldly they spoke. What if they weren't? Think of the opposite. Would Christianity have spread? Would it have spread as fast as it did like a wildfire? One and, and would it have spread at all, or would it have died? I mean, they, I, I don't know. I think it, from my reading, and, and again, I, wa I want input on this. I'm just, I'm saying this from my reading. I think Paul, uh, it, from what I can see, was you know the greatest missionary, and he was responsible for the spread of Christianity and to and get the church going. Well, would it have spread? Yes, God would have just used somebody else. Because yeah. again, it wasn't Paul. It wasn't Paul. It was, yeah. it was the Holy Spirit operating yeah. through Paul. He was willing to put the boldness behind the message. Yeah. But I mean, again, I mean, what, what makes sainthood? I mean, the Holy Spirit. I mean, he, he's made all of us saints. 
right? Like there's nobody that's more saintly than another. There's no one that's more holy than another. There's no one that's more righteous than another. Cause Paul in his own words says my, our righteousness is filthy rags. Um, you know, and he says, I count all of this as, as, you know, garbage as feces as excrement as whatever, you know, use, use your derogatory term that you want. And, uh, and so he's saying that he's saying, you know, all of our righteousness is filthy rags or his menstrual cloths or his dirty diapers. Again, fill in the blank on, on how you want to interpret those, those words there. So as far as sainthood, I mean, he was just as messed up as any of us, but he had the boldness and had God not used him, God's work was not limited to Paul, right? I mean, and even, even the reality, we see Barnabas, Barnabas' tag team in here, but we don't even know the impact of Barnabas. And there's other characters, Apollos. Who knows the impact of Apollos? None of us know the impact of Apollos. And yet, people were saying, oh, I've been baptized by Apollos. And, and they were wearing that like a badge of honor in the early church. So because of the fact that Apollos either A, didn't write letters to churches, or B, they were not preserved, we don't really know much about Apollos, other than he was a, you know, he was a colleague of, of Paul. So it was Barnabas. We don't know much about Barnabas either. So, so God was just like picking and choosing. Hey, you're willing? Let's get to work. You're willing? Let's get to work. Right. You, you, you're, you're, you're backing out? Okay, you know what? No. Which is why Paul, you know, gave Demas a bad rep because Demas had deserted him. John Mark had deserted him. Paul was a little bit harsh on his, you know, apprentice, I think. But ultimately, he the, the tune changed with Demas, you know, ultimately, I believe, in the end. So, you know, but but the thing of it is, is it's like God uses willing vessels and people that are willing to be bold on his behalf. Yeah, and it made me think just after that, Judas, so... And after that, they preached the gospel of the city and made a good number of disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, and strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, and I have actually have different translations of different Bibles. This one's different. It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And I heard hardships, struggles, whatever it might be. So here you are trying to make other disciples, and you say, hey, by the way, your journey is going to be rough. And so, okay, be bold, but also you're heading off into a, a, a tough like, road ahead. It's not like God's going to bless you and give you a new house and a new chariot or whatever. And yet that's often, you know, kind of the gospel that we hear. It's like, you know, follow Jesus and everything's going to be great. And and Jesus himself said, follow me. That means if any, he says, if anyone is not willing to daily take up their cross and follow me, they're not capable of being my disciples. So he's basically saying, grab the cross you're going to be crucified on and let's go. And, and it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus, so why would it be easy for us? It wasn't easy for the, the, uh, the, the apostles, the disciples, so why would it be easy for us? Fortunately, it is kind of easy for us. And, and we can live these, you know, super Christian uh, uh, feelings, like, oh, I'm following Jesus. But again, where's the boldness? Where's the fruit? Where's the, where, where's the impact? Or are we just... Um, you know, just like, oh, I'm just a, I'm a studier of the word, but I'm not a doer of the word, right? If you continue in 14, verse 8, we were talking about, again, Paul and Barnabas, they're in Lystra. It says they, they uh, go to Lystra and Derby. Remember now, all these places are in Turkey, so just picture Turkey in your mind, and you get an idea if you know where that is, and, and, and if you don't, just look it up. And, uh, it, you know, it's called Asia Minor. And, and here... <laughs> Here we see the influence of the gods, uh, the Roman and Greek gods, that is, because Paul and Barnabas go there, and, and, and there's a man that had never walked before, 
And so Paul looked straight at him. Paul realized uh, he had to have faith to be healed. So Paul called him while they stand up, and the man jumped to his feet and started walking. Now, verse 11, we're still in chapter 14. The crowd sees this. They see that Paul get, gets this guy to stand up and walk. When they saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the local dialect. These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes, the messenger of the gods, of course, since he was the chief speaker. I, I, I love this part because th this, th this made so much sense to me. And yeah. like, if you have never seen anything like this before and these guys come in and they start healing, you're going to immediately go to a, what do I know? Oh, I know these Greek gods. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, yeah that, Ben, you're exactly right. This is, and I want to point, this is an example of what I was referring to before, that these island, the island of Cyprus, these these little cities, Papa and, and Derby and Icona, they were all permeated by Greek gods or Roman gods, whichever. And, and here it is right here. They want to call them gods. Uh, you know, of course, the temple says the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths and flowers to the town gates and they prepared to sacrifice them. But but the apostles, uh, Barnabas and Paul, unlike Herod, who accepted the accolades of being called God and then was struck down, unlike Herod, Barnabas and Paul said, Get this junk out of here. They tore their clothing. They said, you know, they started saying, what are you doing? How, how, and how amazing is that? Well, like we're he, merely human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is amazing, Ben. And I don't know, you know, it is amazing because if that were bestowed upon a person, any one of us, right? Is that what you're thinking, right? You know, how would we react? Oh, my God. They think I'm a god. I could I could be the Wizard of Oz here and I can have everything. And they're like, in, in the Temple of Zeus is right outside of town. It's like, you mean my home? <laughs> my home. Yes, please take me yeah. to my home yeah. right now. Stop looking at me. Do not look at the God. Do not look at the <laughs> but they But they didn't do that. And, and uh, again, God chose the, the right person. Yeah, so what does happen, like what James was saying before, you got the Jews from Antioch and now Iconium. They're banding together. They got their little groupies and they come along in verse 19 and win the crowd to their side and talk about a flip-flop. They go from getting ready to like sacrifice to them to now they stone them, drag them out of town thinking he was dead. If you ever pondered what it means to be stoned, not, not, you know, narcotics wise, but, but, but as far as like getting stoned in this day and age, I mean, this wasn't like chucking little pebbles at you. I mean, they're taking like, you know, you know, uh, grapefruit sized stones and throwing them. And, and oftentimes you'd be buried under a pile, you know, at the end of this. And so much so that it says they dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. And, uh, and some people, um, speculate that he actually did die and that God resurrected him to life. I don't know if it's true or not. Paul does refer to instances of, of having visions of heaven and whatever else like that. I, I don't know if it's connected or related in any way, shape, or form to this, but these people aren't stupid either. They think that he's dead. They're like, well, we think we got him, and they drag him out to town. <laughs> and then as the believers gathered around him, what are they doing around him? Probably praying, right? I mean, they're certainly not like offering sacrifices to, you know, Zeus. <laughs> They're probably praying. And and then he starts to move and he gets up and he goes back into the town. 
The next day, though, he leaves. That was smart. <laughs> Probably a good move on his part, but I don't know. It's just crazy. I'm just trying to think of, like, any depictions I've ever seen of, like, what a stoning looks like on move. On, I give on, you the depiction. I gave it to you guys before. Maybe Jimmy wasn't here, but, um, again, short story. I had to read it when I was in, uh, when was I, College University of Connecticut up at Stores. Shirley Jackson, The Lottery. I told you that. Lottery, yeah. yeah. Look that up because you're online a lot. Look that up. The lot. It's a short story. No, I, so, I read it when I was in school. Okay. I, oh, you I, did? I, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That'll give you a great depiction of stoning and what happens and why, you know, it, it, it's just a, it's a very moving story. Something that could happen in a dystopian society or maybe ours. But, uh, yeah, that's what stoning is like. Generally, they would push you down. You know, I did some research on this. We talked about this when we were talking about Stephen. So if I'm, I'm saying this over again, just hear me out a little bit here. But I won't go through the whole thing. But they would generally, one person would push you down. They would have, they have a little hole, and they would push you down into it and kind of disable you a little bit. And then one person would throw the first stone, and then and then... Somebody else would pick up one and throw it, and somebody would stand back and hold the coats like Paul did for uh, you know the stoning of Stephen. Yeah, God forbid that you wear your coat while you're th throwing a stone. Yeah, you didn't want to get that dusty because there was a lot of dust yeah, back oh, there. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 When you want the coat to keep the dust off your regular clothes? Uh, well, they had a tunic, then they had, I forget what it was called underneath. I studied the dress, too, but um, oh. they, they would let someone hold that so it was easier to throw the stone off. Oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, your, your throwing yeah. arm, you want yeah, the full yeah, rotation. Yeah, yeah got exactly. it. Exactly, and so. Yeah. Everybody would get up and take a turn and throw a stone. And one thing, and not that I would want to get stoned, but, and again, don't laugh at this, but when we were younger, we didn't have anything to do. I grew up in a project. We were all poor. And so when somebody got, it was lucky enough, a family to get a refrigerator or a washing machine, it came in a big box. And so we would grab the box and we'd put it into a field and we'd punch little holes in it so somebody could breathe and a little a door we'd cut out and, and we'd let somebody go in there and then we'd throw stones at it. So I know what stoning is about because we would get hit with these little stones because we'd take turns going in there. Believe me, I, I mean, it's He weird. said don't laugh. What is the draw to be in the box? There was none. It was just we chose. Then Everybody why did had, you do it? We're, we didn't have anything else to do. Somebody had to go in there. It wouldn't be fun throwing rocks in an right. empty box. So my point it's is like that. like kill the man with the ball. Same, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. So here's my point is. So we'd get hit with these little rocks. And once in a while, somebody get hit with a bigger stone. Say, you're throwing a stone. That's too big. You know, you know people get it. And, you know, we'd have bruises once in a while like that. Nobody got seriously, but occasionally somebody got knocked out. Ooh. And I'm thinking about Paul here. You get knocked out and then, you know, oh, my God. You know, we'd go. We'd, we'd want to tell the parents so we you know we see if we can revive them they get up they'd have a black and blue mark on them I, it happened to me a couple times and <clears throat> excuse me and then you got up and i'm thinking maybe paul got hit with a couple stones they thought he was dead but he was just kind of knocked out or done and and he just popped up and gone so i'm just a just a story <laughs> yeah i told you not to laugh but anyway <laughs> that's the true story just what we used to do <laughs> Oh, we wow. had nothing else to do, guys. We didn't have all this today. So, Ben, we got this box out back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you hop in there? <laughs> Judy well, just got a new refrigerator. Yeah. Dave has to show me how it's done. Yeah. Is, uh, I don't know this um, game. Okay, well, let, let's go ahead and wrap up uh, for today. And uh, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? You guys ready to move on to, uh, to the next section? So, I mean, we've been in this one for, for, for a long time. So, let's move on. Uh, we'll, we'll start reading 15 to 21. And uh, so seven chapters there, and we'll we'll pick up next week and kind of move into some other of uh, Paul's journeys and and the Council of Jerusalem and a lot of the big decisions that have to be made. And it's just uh, it's exciting the the rise and spread of the early church. So uh, with that, let's wrap up and we'll pick back up next week. <laughs>